sermon for you guys this morning, and um, it's, it's a very convicting sermon to me, and it's challenging, not in a bad way, not like one of those sermons where the pastor's going to beat you up and make you feel guilty or whatever, but it's more of one that's like, oh, that's a challenge, Jesus, and it's Jesus speaking today in the main bulk of this sermon about making people feel at home in the family of God and welcoming people, and we're starting this new series, today is the first one, on coming home. And home and all that home represents and all the good things, the good attributes about homes that we live in and the people that we live with and all the the good things about home. We want you to think about that, dwell on that, be stoked on that, and then realize that in Jesus Christ, we have an even bigger home. We have the family of God. We have the hope of a future home in heaven for all of eternity. We have the strength of, of our hope that we have in Jesus Christ that anchors us, right? That strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, you know? We're Hope Chapel, we have a home in the body of Christ, and so we're going to be talking about that, but the more, more so the importance of us now realizing what home is, but bringing it to the community and the world around us that there's a lot of spiritually homeless people out there, and it's up to us to bring them into God's family. Amen? So the challenge today is that we would have a heart like Jesus, which was a heart for the lost. I want to talk about home a little bit. If you look at your notes, I'm going to... I'm going to challenge you guys with a note-taking today. You guys ready? You guys got to lick your pencil and sharpen it up and, you know, your pens and your, your fingers on your phones or whatever. I'm going to give you guys nine things. You ready for throughout the sermon today that is going to be Jesus' heart for the lost and how we're told to kind of respond to the lost. And basically, it's just weird having the terminology lost and found, but what it is is just the people that don't know Jesus yet. They haven't found a home in God's presence and in his kingdom. We're going to be talking about that. But I want to talk about the home at first. What is home? Well, home, as I looked up the definition and the, the dictionaries and everything online, it um, describes it like this, and maybe you guys can kind of relate to this as, as far as a home. A home is a place where you live, obviously, but it's a dwelling place together with family or your social unit. Maybe it's you've got roommates or something like that. It's your household. It's a familiar, comfortable, relaxed place of security and happiness. It's a valued place of refuge. It's a place of origin, the source, the foundation, the headquarters. Home is a place that offers all of this for you and for me. You know, and I, I, this is ideally what a home should be. And I know that there's, there's broken homes and there's, there's stuff we're dealing with in our homes maybe right now or we didn't have the best home growing up. But ideally what a home is supposed to represent is security. It's supposed to be a place of safety it's the place that I can always depend on. It's a place I start off in the morning, go do whatever I do, and I always end right back up at. And it's, a, it's supposed to be a good place that's cozy. Right now we're decorating in here. We got Christmas lights up, and I love every year when the lights go up. But in my own house, we're decorating it, right? Getting it ready to be hospitable, to welcome people into the home. And home's a place you get to, to share your life with, with people that hopefully love you and can encourage you. And there's there's mistakes you make and little squabbles you get into, but a real home is a place that overcomes that stuff because blood is thicker than water, because family matters more. And so you deal with that stuff. You get through it. And I know we all go through those seasons that are rough waters a little bit, but ideally the home is a place where the healing still comes and you can feel excited and secure and motivated to go out there. And then on the practical terms, it's like, how many of you guys are like me? You go out and you travel and you do whatever, but there's, there's no pillow like your own home pillow, right? You can't sleep with any other pillow. You can't sleep in any other bed. That's the place where you can get real sleep done. It's a place where, where you can walk around in your underwear and nobody judges you, yeah? Maybe my kids once in a while, they laugh and, you know, the dog barks, but I don't care. 
because I'm home, right? I can do what I want. I'm out. I can eat what I want. I can, I can put my feet on the couch. I can put them on the table. I can do whatever because it's my house, and it's that, that familiar place where I can do whatever. I'm open. I'm relaxed. This is, this is what home is supposed to represent. You know, um, the other week, I, I uh, when was it? A few weeks back when I, I think it was because I had come back to preaching again, and I was over my sabbatical, and my wife and I were kind of like, hey, let's, let's cook a steak. Let's celebrate. You know, I'm back on the job, and I was excited, and, and so I'm like, yeah, let's go cook steak. Go get some steaks, right? So she goes, and she goes, I don't know what to buy, but I bought this, you know, and she bought some steaks because my wife and I are a little bit kitchen challenged, just to let you guys know, like, let's be honest. Yeah, right. We're, we're, she's better than me, but we're good friends with the the Golden Arches as well, you know, and Papa John's once in a while. My kids eat. They don't eat well, but they always eat. So she goes, yeah, you, you're the man. You got to cook the steak. And I'm just like, oh, man, I don't, you know, on the grill, maybe I could do it. But we had heard our friends recently had cooked steak on a frying pan on top of the stove. And you can do it good, right? You can, but not uh, me. I had to YouTube it, how to cook a steak in a frying pan. And, Oh, awesome video, right? Which is the shortest one? Because that's the easiest for me. And so apparently if you cook one steak, they give you instructions how to cook a steak in a pan, right? And you have it for dinner. But my wife bought a couple packs and we loaded up and we're like, let's cook 10 of them. So that way we'll eat for the rest of the week, right? We can just have it because we may not ever cook again this week. Let's at least have good food or something. So she buys this and she bought, what did you buy? Tri-tip or something? I don't know if that's good or bad, but we ate it, right? We're just like, steak. And so I learned, and I was like, oh, how do you do this? So if you cook one steak, it's not a big deal. It tastes good. The smell instantly goes up. It's grilling, and you got that greasy smoke coming in, and your house smells like steak. You know, oh, yeah. But if you do 10 in a row, that little smell becomes a big cloud of grease, apparently. <laughs> I learned the hard way. And my entire bottom floor and furniture and everything else was coated in steaky, greasy, oily film. I mean, I didn't really realize that. I'm like, oh, this is pretty nuts. It's in my eyes. And I feel my face. It's like, gross, you know? I'm getting like back knee and everything. Like, and the kids all of a sudden start getting on the chairs and they're like ice skating around the house. Like, I'm like, what's going on? Oh, my wife's like, babe, there's grease over everything in our house. And it was gross. It really was. Like the dog was all greasy. He was all fired up because everything tasted like steak in the house. So he's like, Licking the walls, licking the furniture, like, ah, you know, dream come true. But full-on fiasco. I tried to mop the floor. I'm sweating after eating the steak, and I mopped it. didn't go away. I tried to mop it again. It's like for weeks it's been there. But you know what? My family still loves me. We still ate good that week. And you know what? I can do whatever I want. Why? Because that's my house, right? And so all of us, we see the value of having our own house and our own home to do whatever we need to do. You can make mistakes and people still love you. You can get the support you need. You know that you can go home and that's a place that brings that sense of security and protection. And I want you guys to keep that in mind as we, as we look at scripture today and in the next couple of weeks, this, this idea of what home is to us, that it's ours, it's, it's comfortable, it's good and all this. But here's the interesting thing. This is really cool is beyond our just physical house that we live in. Through the relationship we have with Jesus Christ, he has enabled us to come home to the house of God. Amen. And I'm not just talking about Hope Chapel, Kanye Bay. That's, this is a great house of God. I like call this place home. I drive up the driveway, and I see all the signs and the banners, and I just feel like, okay, it's good. I'm home. You know, it's my home away from home, the house of God, and the family members, and the amazing view that we have. You know, we have the best view in all of Kanye 
right? We're blessed that God got us this property. But this sense of home and belonging. But when we became Christians, it's bigger than just the house of God. It's bigger than our, our personal house that we live in. It's that God has made his dwelling place among us. That means wherever I go, God goes. That means I have the future hope and home of heaven someday, but I have the home in knowing that I can go to my heavenly father who's family and he's going to forgive me and love me no matter what happens. I keep coming back to him. He's going to encourage me. I have the word of God that provides me an anchor for my life. I have Jesus. I have the power of the Holy Spirit that I live in an environment where I'm at home with God. Does that make sense? And we as Christians, we got to be excited about that. There's a few verses in scripture that I found that talk about this and talk about God's home and, and being in his presence. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper or like a servant in the house of my God than to live the good life in the homes of the wicked. It's good to live in the house of God, isn't it? Psalms 90 verse 1 says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home, our protecting shelter, our dwelling place, our refuge, the one that covers us and cares for us. You, God, are our home. Psalms 23 verse 6 in the message says, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. No better place to be. And then this is the verse that really gets me. This is Jesus himself saying this to his followers, to us. Listen to these words in the message version, John 15, 9. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Now make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. I've kept my father's commands and I've made myself at home in his love. And the title for the sermon today is Make Yourself at Home. There's no place at home that Jesus is saying because of what we have, we got to understand that we don't need to be nervous. We don't need to be religious. We don't need to be ashamed Christians. We can live our lives in knowing that Jesus goes, make yourself at home in my love. Yeah, you made some mistakes. Come to me. Make yourself at home. I got you. I'm like the family at home that's going to forgive you. It's going to take care of you. It's going to encourage you. And we have this in God. We have this home. And it's a special thing. But we need to clarify and we need to see things through the filter that Jesus gives us. And that's saying that there's two type of people in this world. Real simple. Those that know Jesus and those that don't. That's really all it comes down to. It doesn't matter how good you are, how bad you are, whatever. If you know Jesus and you're forgiven and you're in the family of God, that's the answer to all of eternity, to all of life's problems from here now in earth and into the, the hereafter. And too many times we kind of forget that. And not that we're mean and not that we're trying to be judgmental or whatever. It's just that we go through life and we enjoy the home, but we forget that we're always supposed to have those people in mind that, that aren't in the home, in the house of God yet. We're always supposed to be thinking about them. So I want to take you guys through Luke 15 right now, the chapter, whole chapter of Luke 15. And like I said, get notes ready. I found in this chapter, as I was studying it, I found nine things that Jesus taught about in having a heart for the lost. Jesus referred to those that are outside of the family of God as lost because before I met Jesus, I was absolutely lost myself. Weren't you? It says in, in scripture that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed it. We've all missed it and been outside of the family of God until we connected with him and we understand what he has for us. And we simply, very simply said yes to his plan. It's that simple. It's, we didn't put on a spirit of religiosity and try to jump through all the motions and look holy. Because a lot of us, I hate to say, you guys don't look too holy. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I mean, look at me. I don't look too holy, right? 
But that's the whole point. It's not for the holy people. It's for the real people that have seen their need to find Jesus Christ. And I definitely have a crutch in my life. I'm not ashamed to say it. My crutch is Jesus Christ. He holds me up, right? People, people tease and make fun and go, oh, yeah, Christianity, is that your crutch? Well, you can't, you're not strong enough. Yeah, it is. What do you got? Nothing, right? I'll take that as a crutch. You know, the guy that saved me in my sins went to the cross for me, gives me a hope of eternity in heaven. Yeah, I'll take that one, please. Say I can, I can do without whatever crutch you're offering. I'll take Jesus. And so it's on us to reach out. And so Jesus here himself, the man, the master, our king, our savior, our best friend, is teaching about having a heart for the lost. And I don't want you guys to miss this. There's nine things I'm going to give you. Hopefully I can get through them all. But look at Luke chapter 15. And here's the setting. Here's why Jesus launches into some examples and stories about the type of heart we should have for the lost. Here's the setting. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Tax collectors are thrown in there with notorious sinners because in that culture, they were the kind of guys that were were Jewish people, but they're working for the Roman government and taking money from the Jewish people for the Roman government. So the people are like, wow, you're a traitor. You're a sellout. You're taking my money and you're giving it to them. Right? And so not only that, but the tax collectors had kind of the, the unique little bit of authority that they had that they could just tax you whatever they told you. So one for you and one for me. And they were crooked and people didn't like them. And scripture gives a couple examples with Levi, who was later called Matthew, and Zacchaeus, that they were kind of corrupt tax collectors. So here's what's happening here is the tax collectors, the people that everyone else looked down on, they didn't like. And other notorious sinners, like people knew that guy's a bad dude, often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, these are like the quote-unquote holy people, this made those people complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people. In fact, he was even eating with them. That they're going, Jesus, you're supposed to be this godly person and teach all of this. What are you doing hanging out with those guys? And you know what? You're not even just hanging out and they're coming around to hear you teach. You're eating with them. In their culture, eating with someone meant that you wanted to connect with them, that you wanted to be one with them. You were bringing them into your friendship circle, that you really were planning, this is a good relationship. You could hang out with people. You could be their acquaintance. You could be their friend. But it wasn't until you invited them over for dinner or they invited you that, oh, this is, this is real. This guy really is my friend, and you're loyal to him. So it's very symbolic here. So when Jesus is going, I'm hanging out with these people, not only that, I'm eating with them. I'm getting right down and dirty with them, and I'm talking story, and I'm inviting them. I'm welcoming them into the home, into the house of God, and I'm doing whatever it takes to make them feel at ease to do so. I want you to realize that here's the first thing you can write down that, we, that Jesus is teaching here, his example, by example, is that we need to have Jesus' heart for the lost. We need to have his heart, not our, our heart for the lost, but what Jesus is saying is he always made the lost, the unchurched, the pre-Christians, if you will, he made them feel comfortable. He made them feel accepted. That's a big deal because too many times I think in our lives we put out a Christian vibe but it's not really that attractive what we're out there trying to, to say, right? See, Jesus, this is amazing. He absolutely didn't compromise his message. He didn't pull back to make people feel comfortable. He stood for what he stood for. I'm the son of God. Here's my message. Here's a gospel message. And yet his approach was done in such a way that the sinners, the ones that should feel guilty and feel bad, were the ones that were his biggest audience, the ones that came around. You know, the majority of the ministry of Jesus Christ was done outside of the temple, was in the streets, was to the normal people, was to the people that needed to meet him, not the people that already thought they had all the answers. 
that his focus was on reaching out to the lost. And so we need to have that heart of Jesus for the lost. Before you can give people answers from scripture or from based on your, your life, you have to have hung around them enough to listen to their problems. You guys get what I'm saying is? Don't just go around and think, well, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you. Take some time to sit with people, build a relationship, gain their trust, let them feel comfortable enough around you to open up and say, here's where my life's at. That's when then you get to come in and say, well, I got a, I got a solution for that. His name is Jesus. I got an answer for you. But let's have that heart of Jesus that even the sinful people that he's looking at they wanted to be around him. That's hard for us to do, right? But we need to be like that. I think if, if Jesus was around today, he would be telling us that we had to look like this. In fact, if he, had a, if he had a house in Kanioi today, he would probably be the guy with the permanent luau tent set up in his yard and the folding chairs ready to go. Why? Because he's always down to party with people. He's always down to get on people's level. The barbecue is always ready to go. He's got the fridge stocked with the meat. The, the coolers are always running. He's got stuff because he was a guy that was just about being real and inviting people into his house. You guys get what I'm trying to say here? That you go to Jesus' house, you can stop by any time of the day or night. You guys got friends like that? Yeah, you don't even need to call. Just come, walk inside, whatever you want. And you know what? You got refrigerator rights. You do whatever. You go in the fridge. Anything in there is yours, right? Because isn't there a level of, of closeness and hospitality that we have? Some people come over. You're like, can I get you a glass of water? Oh, thank you, right? And then you got the other friends who are like, yeah, you know where it is. Go get whatever you like. Go to the fridges. Oh, is this aunties? That's all right. She loves you. Go get them. It's you. We love you, right? Jesus was that kind of a guy that was kind of just open. Jesus is the kind of guy that he probably had the table and the chairs and the TV and the carport because he wanted to entertain his, his guests all the time. Don't you think that that would be Jesus? Remember Tom talked the other week about his dad for years being the party house in Kanioi and it was always open and it had the never-ending rice pot, you know, that it was always full and someone had always made rice. And you're like, where's this rice coming from? I think that's Jesus. I think that's what he's asking us to do is be real with people. Welcome in people. Don't hide away in your Christian club and then don't be around the lost and kind of just forget that they're there. There's two things I think we, we kind of need to do to have, have, have a heart for the lost the way Jesus did. That as Christians, we either need to tone it down or we need to turn it up. And we usually fall into one of those categories. What I mean by tone it down is sometimes we quote the scriptures, we give the hallelujahs, the praise the Lord, and we do all of this, and we do it so much that people are like, oh, easy, religious weirdo. Okay, I don't want to talk to you anymore. It's a reality. Some of us, we do it from a right heart. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to put it out there. But it's actually repelling people that we're trying to reach. Okay? So you can have the right heart, but the approach has got to be right. So some of us, think about that. Tone it down. If you start sharing your faith and no one is ever coming back and listening, maybe you just need to tone it down a little bit. That's all I'm saying. Jesus stood for what he stood for, was bold in his witness, but he did it in a way that people were drawn to him. That's, this guy's interesting. What is he saying? This is cool. I like his approach. He's eating with us. He shouldn't be, but he is. We like that, right? And the other side a lot of us err on is the, the turn it up side. A lot of us, we, we think so comfortable, so relational, get right in there, blend in so good that when people are coming and they're hurting and they need to be given hope that they can't find it in us because we've turned it so far down, right, that nobody, we fly under the radar. I'm a Christian, but no one needs to know because I want to blend in. You're, you're blending in, right? It's, it's becoming all things, Paul said it best, become all things to all men, but it doesn't end there. It says, so that by any means necessary, some can be saved. Amen? We just go, all things, all men, okay, fly under the radar. No, no. So I almost got to turn it up. Jesus was found the balance. I'm going to stand for what I stand for, 
but people are still attractive and he was open to people. Isn't that a good heart that Jesus had for the lost? In fact, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, proved that Jesus was always on mission and we got to always be on mission. He summarized his mission here on earth as this. The son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's simple. That's plain and simple. We got to follow in his footsteps and realize that part of the reason that we're in the family of God and part of the expectation for us, the challenge is that we would be people that always have eyes for the lost, that always have eyes for the people that are not in the home, in the house of God, and have them in their life. We better be thinking that they're out there and they're right around us. And if we're not giving thought to them, we should. And we should put it out there in a way that they can understand it and it's comfortable and it's good. It's not repelling them, but we got to put it out there. Amen? Okay, so let's look at the next few verses. Jesus tells a couple stories because they're criticizing him, right? Why are you hanging out with these guys? So Jesus tells them this story. He tells two stories real quickly right here. One about a lost sheep and one about a lost coin. He tells them the story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he calls together all his friends and neighbors saying, hey, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, this is the heavy verse that really convicted me this week. There's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's more rejoicing over people being found than those of us that are already found. That's you know, I kind of don't want it to say that. I kind of wish it would say there's the same amount of rejoicing as one people, one person finding Jesus as me growing in my faith. That would make me feel better and kind of let me off the hook that I don't have to be so evangelistic. You guys know what I'm saying? But it doesn't say that. It says there's more rejoicing over one person coming home into the family of God than me growing in my relationship with Christ because I'm already in. He loves me. He's proud of me. He wants me to grow. But man, there's party time when one person gets saved. Amen. Look at the next verse. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Anybody ever lost their car keys on the way to work? And you know you're ripping up seat cushions and the, you know nowhere is safe. The kids' beds are upside down and you're like, oh, where is it? And this is what she says. She goes, I had 10. I lost one. Nine isn't good enough. I got to find that lost one. She sweeps the entire house. When she finds it, she calls in her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me because I found my lost car keys, right? Or I found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Here's the second thing I want you to write down out of the nine. nine. We got to be intentional in reaching out to the lost. Not random, not like, whoa, I got 99, I lost one. Now hopefully he comes home. I'm soaked with the 99. No, we got to be going, 99, one's missing. Okay, drop everything. We're going after that one. We're going after the lost. We're going after that lost person. We're going after that person that didn't make it into church yet, the person we've been praying for. we got to be intentional. That means you don't just go through your life and kind of randomly hope, well, maybe people will, you know, will catch that I'm a Christian. Maybe this will happen as you're intentional. You go after them. You recognize the difference that you would see everybody through the filter of, do they know Jesus or do they not? And if they don't, what can I do to make that happen? Right? They're not just numbers. Those are souls at stake here. And we got to be intentional about about going after them. And Jesus was super intentional about going after them. As a pastor in this church, I do what I do, but I always have in mind the lost. And the lost is always a priority. And that's just the way our church is going to be. There's different churches that have different types of 
of, of leaning towards different, we're going to go super deep and heavy into theology, and that's good. The body of Christ needs to constantly be getting equipped and discipled and built up. And, you know, I have a Bible college degree. I could get in there, and I could go into all my books, and I could start talking about all the Greek words and all the Hebrew and all of the Aramaic, and we could go into all that. Let's talk about hermeneutics, how to study the Bible. Let's talk about, like, eschatology, the study of end times. Let's talk about apologetics, how to defend your faith. We could go that route, but I realized, and this is maybe my just reading this, this scripture and what Jesus was all about is it's more important to have a message that's easy, that's simple, that's attainable, that you could bring your non-Christian friends to this church and they could get it and they could get a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we equip you, here's how to live it so that you can go out and give it away again, right? And I promise I could have those talks and we could go deep on theology and all that. And that's good. There's a time for that. There's a place for that. But I realize that I think the church's main responsibility, the Great Commission, Jesus said, is go out into all the world and make disciples of all men. So the number that counts most to me every week when we look at how much money came in, how many people came to church, you know what my favorite number is? How many people made a decision for Jesus Christ? And we've been averaging about 30 per weekend in the recent months. And so I praise God for that. Don't you guys praise God for that? God, Jesus said, you better. You better rejoice when one person comes. And so that's got to be... And so. That's got to be kind of the, the, the feel of our church. But in our, in our lives and in our minds, always, I do what I do. I'm not called to be the super extroverted, super personality inviting every person on the street. Some of you guys are those people. You can't help yourselves because you're like, rah, 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 I'll talk to the tree. I'll talk to the rock. You know, you're just fired up. And that's good. We need you. But not all of us are called to be that way, and we're not supposed to. But if you're a shy person, go invite the other shy people that you hang out with. Right? That's all I'm saying is uh, me and my own personal, you know, you hang out with me on a one-on-one. -on -one. I'm not that impressive. I'm really not that cool. I'm not that any, I'm shy. We go to parties and I kind of like tag around and hide behind my wife. Hey, hi, you know, and that's just me by nature. But that doesn't mean that I can't do what I do. And in the circles that I move in, in the gifts that I have, that I have a heart for the lost. And so if I'm the pastor of the church and I have a message to preach, this church is always going to have music that reaches out to this generation that's modern. The, the, the words that I say, the messages that come across here, they're going to be easy because the greatest thing that can happen is someone outside of the family of God came here and they got into the family of God. That's what I'm looking for. And we're going to start actually some classes and some other things that you can sign up for to take you into some of those different um, concepts. And some of you are mature Christians and you're like, I want to get, I want to dig a little deeper. That's good. We're going to come up with some classes for that. But you got to know my heart and the heart of this church is we want people saved and we want to make that easy and we want people to know Jesus and we want to welcome them into the, the house of God. Is that good? So that's the church that you're a part of. If you don't like it, there's other churches, I'm telling you. But that's kind of the, the angle that God has given us is we want people to know Jesus. It's great when I stand at the back door and people come by, great pa sermon pastor that's, oh, that really fed me differently today. That was good or whatever. I love that. It builds me up. I need that. We all need encouragement. But you know the greatest um, compliment that I get back there, and maybe it's not a compliment, just a testimony, is when people say, you know, pastor, I haven't been to church in years and years or I never really went to church before because I didn't, you know, I didn't like the people that go to church or I didn't like what it was going to do to my life. But I came here and the way that you taught what you taught, I get it. And I'm a Christian and I raised my hand and I prayed with you here today. That's the best thing that I could ever hope for. It's like the rest of you guys, yeah, you're in already. That's good. Thanks for the compliments. <laughs> I'll see you in heaven, right? But when that new person comes, Man, that's, that's a sign to rejoice in here. And here's the third thing that I want to give you is we need to learn to rejoice when other people find Jesus. 
Rejoice if you brought someone to, to church and they raise their hand to prayer, or that you led them to the, to the Lord on your uh, lunch hour at work or in your house. You talked to your mom or you prayed with her and she, she came home to the family of God. That's a big deal. We get excited about high school graduations, college graduations, marriages, new babies. We throw parties. Someone changes their eternity forever in one prayer. And we're like, let's all clap for those people. Yay, what's for lunch? Right? We do that. I think we need to have this heart. This is why this sermon has been challenging for me, reading this chapter, because God's going, Carl, get excited. And if you meet people that, that are found and come to Jesus for the first time, Jump in on that. Get them a Bible. Make sure that they know what's going on. Answer their questions. Invite them to mini church. Invite them to the events. Get them plugged into the family of God. Their eternity just changed. Do you realize that? You guys remember when your eternity changed when you met Jesus for the first time? You got to get excited about that stuff. And that's what Jesus did is he got excited. So we need to be excited. Is that good? Okay. I got a couple minutes and we're going to just work the clock. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to murder the clock today. I don't even care. Luke 15, the rest of the verses, the next story, one of the greatest stories Jesus ever told in Scripture. It means such redemption and freedom for us and the forgiveness and that it doesn't matter who we are, but God loves us. The story of the prodigal son. Let's read it. Some of you guys have read it before. I don't care. Read it again. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, Dad, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to Vegas. And there he wasted all his money in wild living, right? A distant land, that's what I think, where you can waste all your money real quick. Probably Vegas would do it, right? And so he moved to Vegas. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He's out of everything, out of food, out of money. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally, finally came to his senses, he said to himself, you know what? At home, there's our key word, right? Back at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. You know what? I'm going to go to my home, to my father, and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son, but please just take me on as a hired servant. See, he understood the need for that home, the home that he had here, but the home that we have in God. There's people out there that they see it, and they just want to know, how do I get in? How do I get in on that, right? And he says in verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I know I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of even being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, as he makes a point there by saying, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and you put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. And for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. This is our story, people. Those of you that have found your way into God's house, this is our story, that God is there to receive us based on, on not what we did, but the fact that we want to come home. And it says this in verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. I want you to catch this. The focus this time isn't on the son and what happened with the prodigal son. The focus is on the response of the older brother and on the dad, and which one are you? Look at what it says. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. 
When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants what was going on. Well, your, your brother's back, he was told, and your father's killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, You know what, Dad? All these years, I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. I've been a hard worker. I've been serving you. I've been good. Look at all the good stuff that I do. Look at my life. Look at my accomplishments. And he says, in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. In other words, all you had to do was ask. I love you. You're here. You're in. He said, we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now he is found. Isn't that one of the best stories that Jesus ever told in scripture? Remember, he's saying this to the Pharisees who were telling him, why do you care about the lost so much? Why do you care about those people that are out there? Why do you care about sinners so much? And he's saying this to give us a heart for the lost. And there's there's a few more things. The fourth thing I wanted to give you here today, we're still going through that long list. The fourth thing is we need to learn from this is we need to guard against the wrong heart. Guard against the wrong heart. Think about this. The brother was a good worker, he was loyal, he had accomplished all of that for all of those years for dad, didn't even ask for anything, and yet his heart was wrong. And so he was disqualified because he had a wrong heart. Great actions, great success, great ability, but we gotta understand that having a wrong heart and a wrong spirit disqualifies us from all of that stuff. And too many times in our lives where I'm a good Christian, I come to church every week, I'm this and I'm that, how do you feel about the lost coming? How do you feel about when people who are drunk show up in our church or people who are in the back like our Friday night service that one night and the guy was on something, but he was, he was giving me the, remember I told you about this? Instead of the hallelujahs, he was giving me, giving me the F yeah in the back of the, the church and people are like, whoa, what's going on back there? He's like, yeah, that's effing good. F yeah. But he was saying it loud, right? In church. And you, I wonder the response to us. How do, would we respond to that if we were in that service? Would we be the brother that's like, what is this guy doing in church? I can't believe he's doing that in the house of God. This guy doesn't belong to you. Somebody escort him out of here. Are we the kind of people that I witnessed that night in the church that went up to the brother, loved him, hugged him? Hey, man, how you doing? Where are you from? And they embraced him and welcomed him home. If hurting, broken, messed up, drunk, high, whatever people can't find a home in our church, then we need to shut the doors because we're doing it wrong, right? So, because here's the thing. Not all the people that walk in the, in the room that have problems like that are visible or obvious. Because guess what? Me and you, we're still struggling, aren't we? And we've been embraced and we've been shown that compassion. Let's not have a wrong heart. Let's make sure we have the right heart. Number five is to have a heart of love and compassion. The dad in verse 20 He sees the son coming home after a long time. He sees him a long way off. He instantly fired up, runs to him, embraces him, gets the servants. We're going to throw a party. He was waiting. He had compassion. Why? Because I believe that the dad could put himself in the son's shoes. Son wasted all his money. Look at how he looks. I see him. He's been out there. He's probably had a rough life. And I can imagine what it must be to have a life like that and to go through all of that kind of stuff without having a home and people to support you. We need to have the kind of compassion the Father had when we see people around us that are going through problems. We don't judge them and go, how's that guy responding to that? Oh, that's, oh there, there's, there's such gossips in my workplace. I just, I got to stay with my Christian friends and protect my heart and, you know, do all this stuff. Or do we realize, you know what, if I didn't have the love and forgiveness of God, 
If I didn't have the family of God building me up, if I didn't have the word of God instructing me on what to do, the peace of God in my heart and dealing with those situations, if I was in his shoes and I didn't have all of that, that's probably a pretty good picture of what I would look like too. I better have compassion on that person and give him what he needs and bring him into the family of God. Am I getting clear today, guys? This is Jesus. This is his heart. It's passionate and it's, it's challenging. It's convicting, but I want to be this person. Why? Because someone once had compassion for me. When I was a scrub junior high kid trying to find my faith and my way in this world, it doesn't matter if I'm a pastor's kid or not because some of the, the, the biggest screw-ups have been pastor's kids. They run from God, right? Because it's, it's a hard expectation to live up to. So I was at that place. And in junior high, I found some youth leaders. I found Clinton Landeza, and I found these other guys in my life and other people that had compassion for a screwed-up little junior high kid and said, he's worth spending time on and introducing to Jesus Christ. Someone had compassion on me. Someone had compassion on you at one time. Amen. We got to remember there's people out there in our lives that need us to not look down on them and be shocked and surprised, but to say, look, I'm going to run to you. I see you from a long way off. I got you. Come into the house of God with me. Come get to know my God. He's so good. So we need to have that love and compassion where we look beyond people's problems and we see their potential. Amen? So here's the, the number six in that is we need to be praying for opportunities with the lost. It doesn't say it in Scripture. But guarantee you, when that young son took the money and ran, I guarantee you, if that dad was any kind of a good dad, he was on his knees every day praying for that son and the opportunity for that son to come home someday and come back to the home and the family and the relationship that he knew was right. Don't you think so? How many of us have kids in the room and our hearts are praying, God, we want to make sure that they grow up and all that. We need to be people that would be praying for opportunities for the lost to come home. We need to be praying because some of us go, God, yeah, that'd be cool. Once in a while, maybe I could run into someone and share my faith. No, you need to be intentional. You need to be praying. God, today, I pray for this, 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 and you know the people. You start, I believe, with the obvious. Hey, these are the people in my house. These are the people I work with. I, I pray that you would give me an opportunity for me to share my faith to them or to pray for them or to take them a step closer to coming home to a life in Jesus. Start with the obvious, but then there's this. Be open to the random. Be open to the unexpected. Because sometimes you're going to be going through life and thinking that you're called to just pray for these people and to reach out to them. When some guy, like, happened to me about a year ago or something, a guy on the beach comes up to me. And, I, and I've seen him on the water. I go, hey, man, how's your injury? He got injured surfing or something like that. How are you doing? Oh, it's all right or whatever. Hey, you're a pastor right at the church. Yeah? I'm like, oh, is this my opportunity, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And he goes, oh, could you and, like, your friends, like, maybe say a prayer for me? I'm like, Dude, right now, get over here. And he's like, well, what? On the beach, you know? I go, we're doing this. Why? Because I'm trying to pray for opportunities that I, he wasn't on my prayer list. I'm praying for my obvious people over here, but I'm also praying, but God, I'm also open to the unexpected. And guess what? The unexpected came by, and I got a chance to pray with him. I invited him to church. He actually came a couple times to church, but still a work in progress, right? So I run into him again. God, I pray to see that guy again, to plant further seeds. But we got to be praying, because if we're not praying... Then we're just leaving up to chance that maybe you'll run into someone. I don't like leaving things up to chance. My life isn't about chance. My life's about God directing my steps. So I'm going to pray for the opportunity to, to get in there with people and to pray, to pray or to share my faith with people. Then here's number seven. You ready for number seven? You guys keeping up? When you get the opportunity, act fast. Act fast. Look at the dad in verse 22. Praying for the opportunity. God, bring my son home someday. In verse 22, what, is, what does a father say to the servants? Quick. Right? That's the first word he says. Quick. He's, he's, he might run again. He might do something. Let's get him. Let's love on him. Let's welcome him into the house of God. Let's, let's be there for him. Let's get on him. If God gives you the opportunity you've been praying for, 
suddenly it's like right there, I've been praying for this guy, he wants to know. And they're like, oh, but I'm scared. Uh, man, now maybe, maybe God will give me another opportunity tomorrow. I got I to gotta get my courage up. I'm, I'm going to let it go. Guess what? What if you never see that person again? What if that was your only opportunity? And you're going to be kicking yourself the next day for going, why didn't I? That was my chance. Life is too short. I, I don't want to be the person that, that missed the opportunity. So when you prayed for an opportunity and God brings it, guess what? You better act on it. You better get to work on that thing because God answered that prayer and he wants you to do something. It's so funny. I talk to people. Talk to people who get jobs, and they go, oh, I got a job over here at this place, and they're telling me about the place, and then they go, and you know what? There's like four Christians that work with me, and, and I'm so stoked they go to this church and this church, and it's really great to be with the family of God. I'm like, yeah, what a blessing. You got other Christians on the workplace, and you don't have to be alone there and everything, but you know what's even better, I think, is the people that come to me like this, my wife, actually. My wife actually was working at the church. She got a job outside in the marketplace in the real world, right, where it's all the real world where you guys live. And she, one of the first things she said to me was, she goes, hey, it's really cool. I met a couple of Christian people, but there's so many people there that don't know Jesus. I get to shine my light there. I get to, I see the opportunity that I have to bring people home to him. And I went, whoa, that's, that's how we got to be looking. We got to see the opportunity. We got to be quick to act on it. We got to understand that maybe if you're the only Christian in your job place and you're going, get me out of there, it's too hard, I don't like it, maybe you should be going, thank you, God, for putting me there. Because maybe people will find their way into heaven because I'm there in that job. I may be all alone, but hopefully not for long. Maybe I'll get some other family members. You guys see what I'm trying to say here? That we got to be quick to embrace those people and act fast. Number eight is we, we can get a heart for the lost from other people. Get a heart from the lot for the lost from others. And I want to focus real quickly on the servants in this story. Don't you think the servants in the story must have been tripping out? When, when immediately the, the prodigal son is returning home and they're just thinking, oh, son's going to get it. He's going to get lickings. Oh, let's see if dad sees what's happening. Look who's coming home. Hey, look, there's your son. Oh, man, he's going to get it, right? And they must have been blown away when dad goes, quick, go get a robe. Go get a ring. Go put sandals on his feet. Go give him a bath. You know, he's been hanging out with pigs. Go fatten the calf. Let's celebrate. Let's party. Don't you think those servants must have just been like, what? That guy? Wait, you're welcoming the guy? He doesn't? That's crazy. And then what happens later on is the older brother comes in and he asks the servants, hey, where's my, what's going on? Where's everybody? What's all this dancing and everything I hear? And the servants are just going, you know what? Here's what's going down. Your brother came back. He's all dirty. He's this. He's that but your dad is throwing a party. And, and the servants must have just been thinking, wow, talk about love and forgiveness and compassion and action. Those servants must have been tripping so hard that they went home to their kids that night and go, what would you do today? They said, oh, I screwed up. You know what, man? I love you anyway. It must have changed the heart of the witnesses around. Don't you guys think that would, that would be true? So here's what I'm saying. If we want to get a heart for the lost, hang out with people that have recently been found. Hang out with people that have recently found Jesus, new Christians. New Christians are the most fired up people around because they know what's on the line and where they just came from and what God just did for them. Hang out with people like that. Hang out with people that have the gift of evangelism and they'll share Jesus with anyone because that's going to wear off on you. Hang out with people that have had miracles done in their life recently because that stuff's contagious and you're going to start getting fired up. You start talking to people and you're like, yeah, 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 let's go. Let's go win the world. Let's do it. We need to put ourselves in a place where we can kind of be revamped on all this, and the best place is to hang out with other people. Hang out with people like it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Peter and John, when they were told, hey, stop preaching in the name of Jesus, they said, you know what? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. 
I went to a party not too long ago where some people came to it, and I found out they were pastors of another church. And they met me, and they're like, oh, yeah, we've seen you on TV before. You guys have a great ministry. Your dad, all these years, you've planted churches. And they were kind of like, I don't know, starstruck or something. And I'm like, that's super uncomfortable for me. I'm just like, uh, yeah, no, how about you? You know, how about you? And they're just like, oh, yeah, your church. I go, what about your church? Oh, well, you know, we're just like 30 people strong. And I'm just like going, praise God, because everybody starts somewhere, right? And they're sharing with me about, but you know what? They started leaking they started leaking out the joy of salvation and the fact of how much they loved and rejoiced for the lost being found and their heart to go after the lost. And they're in a church of 30 and we're here at a church of 2,000, but their, their joy and their heart for the lost was so contagious, I was so humbled walking out of there, being in their presence and going, man, I want to love the lost as much as those people love the lost. And when I hang out with people like that, it does something for me. So hang out with those kind of people. Be looking for those kind of people. You'll catch the fire as well. And here's number nine. We made it. I did it. Murdered the clock as I told you I would, but we're, we're going to make it. The last one is know what's at stake. I believe that Jesus wanted to catch us to catch this, to know what's at stake. Eternity is at stake. Life and death is at stake. The dad said this about his kid. He was dead, and now he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And one of the ways that we can know what's at stake and, and catch just the weight and the gravity of what really is happening here is look in the Bible and do a little word study on heaven and hell and learn all that you can about heaven and all that you can about hell. Jesus actually taught more about hell than he taught about heaven. There's a verse in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 talking about hell that says, they will be punished, those that go to hell, that don't make it in the family of God, they'll be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and his glorious power. Now, this is heavy, and we don't like to think about hell. We don't like to think about the bad stuff. But, you know, if we, we don't think about that stuff, then kind of our fire and our passion for saving people dies out because then we're not really thinking that there's anything to be saved of or from. And if we can remember that the Bible is clear, every one of us is an eternal being. All of us are going to live for eternity. Do you know that? just depends where. And I want to make sure that they're home with the house of God, with the family of God. And when I read that, it's not just like, oh, some people are going to hell. Never mind the some people. Here's what I want you to maybe write on your notes is an underline, a blank line that put, you could fill the name in. And I, I wrote this, blank might go to hell if I don't do something. And then you know what you do? You fill in the name of your friends and your family. Then it comes to a whole new light like, oh my gosh, I don't want that person to go. I don't want that person to miss out on the goodness of heaven, the goodness of God. Blank might not go to heaven unless I say something. Blank might end up in hell unless I say something. Now, this isn't scare tactics, and I'm not trying to guilt trip you out. This is just the reality of what the scripture is saying right here. And if we can have this heart for the lost and be, be just fired up on the things that God really has for us, it's going to change the way that we live. This Christmas season, in this coming home series, it's all about us being reminded and stepping up to the challenge that Jesus himself is throwing down in Luke 15. He's saying, let's live our lives with the lost in mind. Let's live our, our lives in a way that says, we want everybody to have the blessing of God and his love and his compassion, his mercy and his forgiveness for all of us for all of eternity. Is that a good word this morning, guys? I went long, I don't even care. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we got through all the points, but God, more importantly, I thank you that we have this home to come home to. Lord, not just the church here. That's great that we have a church, but Lord, our home is in you eternally, spiritually, that we have relationship with you, and we thank you for that, Father God. We thank you for the security of knowing where our soul is at, that we're anchored to the strong and trustworthy anchor of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that, but Lord, 
help us not to be selfish with what we have. Lord, help us, especially in this Christmas season, to realize that we may not have money, but we have hope and we have Jesus and we have a home to share with people out there that are spiritually homeless. Lord, that's how we were before we met you. Lord, I pray that we would take all that we have and that, that we know of you and the message that we have and we'd share it and we'd bless other people and we'd invite them in and we would make ourselves comfortable, Lord, so that people wouldn't get weirded out by Christians, by us, but Lord, that the message we're sending is real, uncompromising, but it's in a way that is just loving and accepting of everybody and welcoming them to this home that we have, Father God. I pray that you would stir in our hearts, that we would live differently this week, that we'd reach out a little bit more, we'd be a little more proactive, and we'd add names to our prayer list that we need to for opportunities, Father God. Give us those opportunities to make a difference in this world for you. And if you came here today, you're sitting here right now, and everybody is praying here together, but you're sitting here going, man, I, I don't know for sure, to be honest, if I, if I made the cut, if I'm in or not. In fact, I probably pretty much even know that I'm not in the family of God, that I've been looking, and maybe that's why I'm here today. And if that's you, there's absolutely zero, no judgment for you in Jesus Christ, that, that we are blessed that you came, and God is excited that you're here. And if there's any part of you this morning that's just saying, you know what, I, I need to make things right with God. I want to be in, in the house of God forever. I don't want to have to deal with hell and all that, that eternal separation from God but I want to know his glory and his peace and his, his beauty and what he could do with my life and change the direction in the course of my life. I've been living it on my own. It's not working out so hot. I'm ready to take a step towards Jesus and, and see what God could do with this heart of mine. I'm going to tell you something right now. It's very, very simple. It's a simple decision in your heart that you make that says, God, I want what you have. I receive all that you've done for me. I believe in you. And from this day forward, I'm going to live according to your purposes and plans. You don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to become holy or religious or spiritual. God's going to make you holy. God's going to clean you up. God's going to change your life. You just allow him to do it. And it starts with a simple prayer. And I want to lead you in this prayer here today, if that's you, and you're, you're kind of that person that's just going, man, I want, I want in on the family of God. I want to come home to him. I want to live in his house forever. I'm going to say a simple prayer. I'm going to pray the words out loud. It's going to be a prayer that I do with you and for you. And I'm going to ask that you would pray along with me, but you'd pray in your heart. Because the heart is what matters. See, a lot of times we can give lip service, but it's the heart that God judges us on. So the heart is the first step. And afterwards, you can go and tell people and speak it out. Let people who you came with know or whatever. Hey, I prayed. I, I, I'm in now. What do I do? The first step is if you're going to pray with me here this morning, that you would pray. As I pray the words out loud, you pray it in your heart with me to God. He hears you. And I want you to do one thing as we pray this prayer that's going to connect you with the God that loves you for eternity. I want you to let me know that you're praying the prayer. Part of it is just an accountability thing. I want you to have had the, the courage to own up to one person, and that's just me here today, to let, let me know, yeah, I prayed that prayer. And then, you know, later on, you can go and tell your friends, but just today to take that step of faith to say, yeah, I want to pray that prayer. But I want to know who I'm praying with also because it is a privilege for me. I get to celebrate and rejoice in the fact that people are finding Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you're someone that you knew Jesus a long time ago and you just didn't know where you stood and you've been kind of away like that prodigal son, but it's time to come home to your loving father that, that forgives you and embraces you and he's, he's got a plan for your life and you don't have to feel guilty or embarrassed about where you've been. He just wants you here. He wants you home. So whether it's a first-time decision or you've been away for a long time, I want to say that prayer, but I want you to let me know if you're going to pray with me and here's how we're going to do it. Everyone seated around you has their eyes closed and heads bowed. But I'm going to ask that when I count to three, you would simply raise your hand and let me know that you want to pray that prayer with me here. That's going to change your eternity. So if that's you on the count of three, 
you raise your hand, and we pray together, me out loud, you in your heart, and God changed everything starting that moment on, and then we'll carry on with the rest of our service. But if that's you, hands up on the count of three. One, two, three. Hold it up if you would. If there's anybody here today, I see one hand in the back. Praise God. Anybody else as I'm looking around? Anybody else in the room? I'm looking. I see two over here, three. Thank you, Father God. I saw three people this morning. It's the best thing we do all morning. I said it right there in scripture. I see four. I see someone else. Thank you, Father God. Unreal. Unbelievable, Lord. Unreal. If that was you, go ahead and put your hands down. Just pray this prayer in your heart. Simple. God, I'm here today. I recognize my need for you. Lord, I, I want to be a person that lives with you in my life and the blessings and all that you have in the house of God, this amazing church family and your word that can speak into my life. And as I pray to you, I can just vent and get all my feelings out to you, Lord. And you don't judge me for it, but you love me and you accept all the words that I'm saying as I cry out from my heart. And Lord, and you begin to guide me and lead me through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would do things in my life, miracles that are only available and capable through you and this power. Lord, I don't even understand it all yet, but I don't care. You're going to show me. I'm going to learn along the way. But my first step, God, is here today right now saying yes to you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to come to this earth and to, to give us his message and provide us the way to you and then to die on the cross for our sins if we would believe that, that he's dying for us, paying the price for us so that we wouldn't have to eternal separation from God. He died. He went to the cross for us. And then he rose again on the third day to prove that he is God. He's the son of God. And he, he has the power over death, over the grave, over the sin in my life, the shame, and all that baggage that I've been carrying. Lord, I'm sick and tired of carrying all this stuff in my life. So God, I'm here today, bottom line, to say yes to you and all your plans for my life. And you're going to show me what to do next in my steps as I, as I read the word and I pray and I get involved with the church body, can get baptized, receive the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, all of that stuff, it's going to come, and it's a, I'm a work in progress, but I just trust my life to you right now. I will follow your plans for my life from this day forward. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for bringing me home this morning, December 8th, 2013. I have come into the house of God, Lord, and I am thankful. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, the church said, amen. And let's praise God. Come on, rejoice and celebrate with those people right now. Amen.